Here the Turtle is presented by Toyota. Toyota helps you get the most out of your drive. Just ask a friend who drives one. Shop buyatoyota.com, Toyota's official website for deals, to find the Toyota that's right for you. Toyota, let's go places. Thursday, October 24th, it's here, the Turtle. We've got a very special interview this week with one of Maryland's most front-facing alums, a journalism graduate by the name of Jimmy Roberts. You all know the name if you've watched anything in sports the last you know 30 to 35 years, covered numerous Olympics, the, one of the voices of NBC Golf, and one of the voices of the, some of the amazing feature packages you see on the Olympic Games and as an Olympic head myself interviewing Jimmy was a bit of a dream of mine but we go into a bunch of different things from his covering of the Olympics to a bunch of different sports he's obviously a big golf guy we talked about his dream golf foursome and then he was one of the original employees at Bentley's a pretty cool fact Jimmy Roberts a very nice guy was in town to watch Maryland men's basketball practice with his son and his son looks so happy to be watching what looks like a very very talented Terps team so while we would love to talk about your football your men's basketballs all the Olympic sports they're doing great men's soccer and field hockey rolling along for now, we will just get to our interview with Jimmy Roberts. As the University of Maryland celebrates the start of another athletic season, Maryland Athletics is excited to announce the launch of Terps 10,000, our campaign for a goal of 10,000 Terrapin Club members. Individuals who join the Terrapin Club during the campaign and become new members will receive a Maryland Terrapin Club branded flag to proudly fly at your home, office, or tailgate. All current members are eligible to receive a flag by donating an additional $55 to the Terrapin Club. Plant your flag at Terps10K.com. We're back here on Hear the Turtle with Maryland graduate, NBC Sports' finest, a veteran of 17 Olympic Games, Jimmy Roberts. Jimmy, thanks for coming on. Hear the Turtle? Yes. yes. I like that. Yes. Yes. Yes, shout out to Marty Suma for coming up with that name. Yes. Leave it to the fine minds in College Park to come up with a name like that. Here the turtle. Here the turtle, yes. Starting off, you were at basketball practice yesterday. Uh-huh. You're about to watch the scrimmage today. Yep. Um, what did you see from the guys? What's exciting you? You're a big ba- basketball fan, obviously. Yeah, I mean, they look so good. I mean, uh, there's a lot of optimism, obviously. That's uh, The team that was so young last year now has a lot of experience. Obviously, the big loss with Bruno, Fernando, but... I think that, and I won't know all the names, but, you know, I guess uh, Mark had a really good recruiting class, and he's got some size. And to my way of thinking, the most important thing is experience in the backcourt because your point guard is going to have the ball most of the time in his hands. And, uh, you know, Anthony Cowan has got a lot of experience, and I think Eric Ayala did not play like a freshman last year. Um, 
so I'm really, really optimistic. I mean, there, I could go on and on and on, but I'm sure anybody who cares to listen to this telecast, let's turn that off. <laughs> I'm sure that anybody who cares to listen to this telecast probably knows all the facts. <laughs> what are your earliest memories of Maryland sports oh, coming here? What, what, what kind of comes to mind as you come back to Maryland each time? You know, it's funny. Well, I came here originally because I thought I was going to be on the lacrosse team. I had gotten a couple of letters from the late Bud Beardmore. Um, I was a pretty good lacrosse player where I grew up, which is to say that um, I would have been an, an afterthought here. <laughs> so I was, uh, let's just say that I, that I did not end up playing on the lacrosse team. I was cut from the team, and it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me because um, because of that, I ended up working on the broadcast, which was on network television that year. Team went to the NCAA finals against Cornell, and it became the point of departure for me to end up doing what I do for a living. And you know, you have that experience, I guess, you know, doing the telecast for that national championship lacrosse team. Did that kind of become the plan from that point on? No. Yeah, I'm going to give this broadcast. No, you know, it's funny. I, the first eight years that I was in the industry, I was on the other side of the camera, so I was. Um, in production. I've never really wanted to be in front of the camera. Um, I worked for ABC Sports back when there was such a thing as ABC Sports. And, um, you know, started as a production assistant, worked my way up the ladder, eventually was a producer. I was writing and producing features towards the end of the time that I was there. Um, and it occurred to me at one point that if I could write these things for other people, why couldn't I just write them for myself? So, um, I took a bunch of features that I had written and produced for Howard Cosell and Jim McKay and a number of other people, and I took their voices off, put mine on, made a demonstration reel, and sent it out. I got a lot of nasty rejection letters, some of which I still have. And it was at a point that um, I, I only got one positive response, and it was from a really small, obscure cable operation in central Connecticut. Um, and they gave me a job. It was called ESPN. Uh, no longer obscure. <laughs> not Profile obscure has risen just a little bit. Well, so. I think the only reason that I was able to get a job there was because it was relatively obscure, and not in its infancy, but certainly um, in an infantile state. And I grew as ESPN grew. I was there for 12 years, and I couldn't have kind of stepped into a better situation. Right place, right time. I had the benefit of making a lot of mistakes while not a lot of people were watching and uh, you know learned a lot there and still very friendly with a lot of people from uh, ESPN and that was I left there 20 years ago you t you talked about working with really two of the preeminent voices for a generation in sports Howard Cosell and Jim McKay mm -hmm. what type of different lessons did you learn from huh. those two guys two such different styles and well, how they hosted and went about their business that's but very two interesting. legends so from Howard, I'll never forget, uh, I really admired the way that he could do a tough interview with people and not lose them. And I've had many experiences in my professional life where I've had to ask tough questions, and I have lost the subject. You know, they either walked out. I mean, I once did an interview on live television with Tiger Woods, and he was offended by the question and literally walked out in the middle of it. Um, and... Um, from Jim McKay, I learned the value of words. Um, Jim was a writer first and a storyteller. 
and a gentle soul. And I learned that that appealed to me. I grew up, I was never a stats guy. I was always a guy that was more a story guy. And I loved the stories that he told and the way that he told them. And I wasn't a particularly good student, certainly not when I arrived in Maryland. <laughs> I was a better student when I left. And I think a lot of my desire to learn was based upon a desire to want to tell stories the way that people like Jim McKay and Jack Whitaker did. And in order to do that, I had to care about the language. And so I learned. Um, and it's, let me say this. I would advise any young person, no matter what they want to do, even if they want to be a mathematician, learn how to write, you know, learn how to write, not only emails, but just learn how to write. It's an incredibly valuable thing. And you don't have to write novels. <laughs> you mentioned Tiger Woods. You're wearing the NBC golf polo right now. You gravitated towards golf in your career, covered so many different events, Masters, the Olympics in Rio. Um, kind of talk about the journey of getting into that sport. Was that something you always loved or you know, how did that develop over time? It was kind of by accident. Uh, when I was in production at ABC Sports, uh, one of my assignments was to work on the golf telecast. And I did, you know, behind the scenes, I actually produced the B unit at the 1983 U.S. Open and PGA Championship. And um, so I had a lot of familiarity with kind of the golf environment, professional golf and elite golf. And so when I was at ESPN, one of the things that I recognized was that, you know, a lot of people had beats. And, you know, if you wanted to kind of get on the air, uh, you had to have a beat. And nobody was covering golf. And so I suggested that, you know, we should cover golf for SportsCenter more aggressively. And they were lukewarm to that idea initially. But I got that job. And then Tiger Woods happened. And as soon as Tiger Woods happened, having the golf beat was the single most important beat there was. Um, you know, and initially when Tiger was an amateur, and I knew him then, and first turned professional, I had a very close relationship with him. And um, that was valid. And that, to a certain degree, probably was responsible for me. That and my work at the Olympics was responsible for me getting noticed and getting the job at NBC Sports. So it's just kind of something I fell into. I like to play golf. I'm not a very good golfer. <laughs> you um, and me both. Well, and I wrote, you know, I wrote a book about 10, 12 years ago uh, about golf uh, called Breaking the Slump. Uh, where I went and talked to Jack Nicklaus and Arnold Palmer and President Bush, 41, and Olympic speed skater Dan Jansen, people who love the game of golf, what they did when they encountered their most difficult times and how they got through them. And I started out writing a golf book, and it eventually became a book about how successful people handle adversity. So it's been a long journey, and it's taken some unusual turns, but... Um, you know, I'm, you know, it's like the old Saturday Night Live character. You guys are probably too young to remember this, but in the early years, Garrett Morris played a character named Chico Escuela, who was a Latin ball player, <clears throat> and they would do an interview with him on the news, and his answer to everything was, 
baseball has been very, very good to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, golf has been very, very good to me. So. You've covered so many Olympics, and I read a piece where you sort of said that was the one event that almost gives you the wonderment of being there for the first time each time you go. As someone who loves the Olympics and sort of almost marks their time a little bit by the Olympic cycles, for you, every time you go back to a new city and see have new athletes and new stories, what is that event like that makes it different from anything else in sports? It's just the best. I mean, it it's probably hard to understand for some people who are cynical and choose to think of it as... Um, you know, just more elite athletes who are, you know, on their way someplace for a paycheck. But, you know, there was a time when I first started covering the Olympics, you couldn't be a professional. You know, you had to be an amateur, a true amateur. And even though that's not the case anymore, I think the majority of Olympic contestants are about the thing that draws me to it, which is that you know, the Olympics are only once every four years. Now think about it. If you're an athlete and you're an elite athlete, you're going to peak at some point. And you can only hope that your talents peak at time, at, during the time at which they're holding an Olympics so you have an opportunity. But what happens if you're somebody like Dan Jansen? Your talents peak and you don't win. So then you've got to wait another four years you got to wait another four years, and you got to hope that in four years from now, you're going to be, you know, who you were or better than who you were when you weren't successful. And, you know, that window of opportunity for an athlete is pretty narrow. And so that's the thing that keeps drawing me back, is that for m most of these guys and women, it's about <clears throat> an opportunity a fleeting opportunity that you're, it's going to be here and gone. And so it's so meaningful. And I, I think that's the thing that never changes. And I love it. And that, by the way, is the, why, is the reason I hate NBA players in the Olympics. <laughs> I think professional tennis players in the Olympics, who cares? I don't care about any professional golfers in the Olympics. You know, I hope nobody from NBC or the IOC hears this, but who cares? You know, go away. Leave this to the people for whom it will be extraordinarily meaningful. And this isn't to say that that gold medal for Justin Rose wasn't meaningful, but come on, if you ask him, you ask any of them. It's not the same as a green jacket. That's right. Yeah. Andre Agassi, which is more valuable to you? Your Grand Slam, you know, your gold medal. Justin Rose, your U.S. Open, your gold medal. It's just not even a question. And you talk about those fleeting opportunities for those amateurs, people who are you know, hitting their peak of their athletic career. Are there any underappreciated stories from your time covering the Olympics that you think didn't get as much shine as they should have or you know, something that you know, was maybe off the beaten path? Well, um, the one story that I keep on going back to was from 2000, and it, wasn't, it got a lot of attention at the time, and it was just a remarkable story. It was about a swimmer from a country called Equatorial Guinea, a small African nation, and his name was Eric Musambani, uh, otherwise known as Eric the Eel. Now, at the Olympics, swimmers can either qualify, and in a few rare cases, they can participate by virtue of what they call an Olympic wild card, which is they're invited to, to participate even though they haven't reached the qualifying standard um, as part of the Olympics program to grow the sport. That was the case with Eric Musambani in swimming. And so typically what happens in swimming 
where you're only allowed one false start and then you're disqualified. So the slowest qualifiers in the heats swim first. So in the event that Eric was swimming, which was the 100 meter freestyle, he was swimming in the very first heat with two other uh, Olympic wild cards. And this was in Australia, a country that is swimming mad. Both of them, his fellow competitors, uh, false started. So it was just him on the blocks by himself. He dove in, and for probably the first 10 strokes, he might have looked like he knew what he was doing. But it became very clear very quickly that this kid did not belong in the Olympics by virtue. They weren't going to be seeing in his performance what they'd be seeing in others. About halfway down the first lap, he basically started to dog paddle. And, you know, people were laughing at first because there was a very swimming savvy audience. But by the time he made the turn and headed for home, they just embraced the guy and standing ovation. And it was a remarkable thing to see. Um, and I, you know, as I said in the script that I wrote in the piece that we did, I said, could you do it? You know, subject yourself to humiliation, you know, to prove a point to yourself. And uh, just one of the more memorable things I've ever seen. We won an Emmy for that story. It's very, very proud. There you of go. It. Is um, that the Emmy that's at R.J. Bentley's? That right is now not the Emmy that's <laughs> at R.J. Bentley's. Although I did, I did visit R.J. <laughs> Bentley's yesterday. Uh, I'm one of the original employees, a proud member of the original employees, <laughs> yes. and um, I had a look around. So it's, it's so good to be back in College Park. Yeah, you segue us perfectly into a little bit of rapid fire. And we normally ask this as the last question, of rapid fire, but I'll ask it as the first one. Your favorite place to eat in College Park? Oh, I come think on. I already know the answer. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Aside from the South Hill Dining Hall, uh, <laughs> is that still there, by the way? I think yes, there's a, there's yes, a South Campus Diner. South Campus Diner. Yeah. Actually, we used to work at WMUC, which used to be a Oh, right the there. Oh, yeah. 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 yeah, for sure. Anyway, now, R.J. Bentley's. There it is. Or, or Little Tavern, which doesn't exist anymore. A little how about Le How about Lito's Pizza? That's oh, still going on. Yeah, no yeah, now in college, Park. Of yes. course, back in you know, of course, back in college, I was eating pizza. Now I don't eat carbs. <laughs> <laughs> Dream foursome to play golf with. Mm. I think I would like to play with my dad who passed away about 12 years ago. Arnold Palmer. No, my dad. Yeah, my dad, Arnold Palmer, and Dwight Eisenhower. Wow. wow. Okay. Well, and here's why. So my dad loved the game. My dad fought in the Second World War. Um, Arnold was a, I'm very proud to say, a close friend of mine, and my dad really, really admired Arnold. And General Eisenhower loved the game of golf and played, um, was a member at Augusta National, and I think my dad would have loved to have spent some time walking a round of golf with Ike. The most impressive sports performance you've seen of an event Easy, easy, easy answer. There's, let, me, let me just say this, because I said this in a speech last week because I was actually on a panel with this person. There's not even a silver medal in this discussion. Wow. The most impressive sports performance I've ever seen with my own two eyes or that ever really exists. I don't, I don't, don't understand how anybody could argue this. <laughs> Eric Haydn's five gold medals at the 1980 Olympics. Here's what you need to understand. So Eric Haydn won every single event that was contested in speed skating at the 1980 Olympics. We're now at a time where nobody even enters all five events. He won everything from the 500 meters, which is a sprint, to the 10,000 meters. Okay, so what that would be analogous to would be somebody winning the 100 meter dash, and every event between that and the marathon. And 
in the last one, which was the 10,000 meters, he overslept that morning, had to run to the track, was only able to stuff down two pieces of whole wheat bread. That's unbelievable. Yeah, without question, the most impressive performance I can ever think of. And we'll get you out on this one. We've got the backdrop of Maryland basketball going right now. Your favorite Maryland basketball memory, maybe you saw in person or? Oh, there's no doubt about it. 2002. It has yeah, to be. Has to be. 2002. I was, you know, I was at that game in Atlanta, watched with um, my friend John Brown from Bentley's. I think the governor of Maryland was in the, the suite. We, we, a bunch of us uh, were in a suite, and I could not stay in there with him. I needed to be closer to the court. <laughs> and I remember how poorly Maryland played and Indiana played in the first half. It was half. not the biggest... It, quality game. It was an ugly, ugly first half. And then they pulled away in the second half. And I just remember thinking to myself, you know, this is actually going to happen. I, I just can't believe this is actually going to happen. And, uh, you know, to this day in my home office, I don't have very much memorabilia, but I do have the front page of the Atlanta Constitution Journal framed. And, um, you know, it was, a, it was a great, great Maryland basketball memory uh the lacrosse team winning uh, a couple of years ago that was pretty darn pretty good, good too, too. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. we might have to get you back out there and, and have john tillman you, you know they might have a spot of eligibility left for you get you back out there <laughs> i on. still got all my eligibility left i don't think i have i don't even think i have close to enough talent <laughs> nor did i ever jimmy roberts thank you so much for coming on you represent maryland so well um, out there in the media one of the voices of nbc sports and thanks so much for coming on and enjoy uh, what should be a fun scrimmage you're the turtle boys thanks jimmy thanks yep. jimmy Fantastic stuff there from Jimmy Roberts. What a nice guy. Gave us a ton of his time um, as he was about to watch the Terps scrimmage that morning at Xfinity Center, and, and I couldn't have been more thrilled to talk about him. Once played a full round of golf with President George H.W. Bush. Jimmy has, has amazing stories. We could have gone two hours with him, but just had a little bit of his time. But thanks to a, a Maryland graduate and a huge supporter of the Terps, amazing that story about him at the National Championship. So that's all we have for Hear the Turtle this week. As I said, sports continuing to roll in the fall. Football plays this Saturday against Minnesota in Minneapolis. Men's and women's basketball starting up next week and men's soccer really rolled. Just had two wins over two ranked teams this week. Field hockey, one of the best teams in the country and volleyball starting to make a little bit of a push in the Big Ten. A win over former head coach Steve Aaron, Indiana and then just beat Northwestern the night before recording this episode. Um, so some really fun things happening. Then women's soccer trying to qualify for the Big Ten tournament for the first time. They've put themselves in position with some good results over the past few weeks. But as I said, that's enough for this week's episode of Hear the Turtle. As I always say, make sure to follow us on all of our social media channels. At Hear the Turtle on Twitter. At Hear the Turtle on Instagram. Sned throwing one for the man that is not across me right now. Keith Sned at Taylor Smythe 10 for me. And we'll see you next week. And as Keith would say, go Terps.